Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. It is exactly 8 o'clock here in the UK as the big hand just ticks around to the top of the hour. My name is John Hindoff and this is Midweek Motorsport live from the UK. Uh, this is Series 13 and we are on episode... I reckon 16 this. Our executive producer up in London... Uh, Tim Greer will tell me. Is it 16? Well, last week's show was episode 14. Alright, oh, it's 15 then. So I think it's 15. You sure? Generally, 15 follows 14. No, but okay. not always. No, 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 that's fine. Uh, I got myself confused um, then when I was doing some stuff earlier this week. So it's 13.15 uh, here. Uh, and on a packed programme tonight, Tim, we have what? Uh, we have all the usual features. We'll be talking about all the uh, motorsport that happens over the weekend, or at least all the uh, motorsport that I consider significant. Uh, we're going to be looking ahead to some stuff from this weekend. Uh, we'll be talking to a range of guests, including uh, Shay Adam oh. and uh, Glenn Goodwin okay. and uh, Richard Crail. Oh, really? Yeah. Excellent. He'll be here, presumably, to promote his brand new show, which follows us here on RS1. Oh, yes. Are we allowed to talk about that, are we? That's good. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, that is the uh, Hot Wheels so Australian... there's also been a big Australian news, uh, or motorsport news story this week. There so is. Hopefully, we can ask him about that as well. It's quite early in the morning. I hope he's had a cup of coffee. Well, the news was a couple of days ago, so hopefully he uh, has had plenty of time to digest it. Right. And uh, we'll as it were. thoughts prepared. Uh, and the... Sure to which Tim refers is the Hot Wheels Australian uh, prototype series, which had its opening round at the weekend as part of the uh, Shannon Nationals series at the brand new circuit in South Australia, which actually is right outside Creelsey's back door in South Australia at Tell and Bend. And uh, we have the first of a new series, uh, which we'll look back at that, including the race as it happened, as well as some exclusive interviews with the drivers who made the headlines. That's all coming at 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, In the meantime, uh, Michael Denny is listening live from a sunny for now balcony in the carbon fibre triangle. I'm actually sitting outside Hindhoff Towers. Can you just kill the bed for a second so everybody can uh, hear? That is the sound of early early spring here on the back. You probably just hear... In the background, the weir on the middle nen. Uh, and Michael Denny, they good really evening. Can't. If they turn their volume right up, they might hear some birds tweeting in the background. And don't forget, it's not just birds that can tweet. Uh, no, you can too. At, <laughs> very good. 
uh, ads specutainment. Um, we've got Ollie Turvey listening in tonight. Hello, Ollie. Uh, getting ready for the transition season. Uh, and Shea Adam, who'll be with us later on, uh, as well as all the usual people who are in tonight. Why am I not seeing... Oh, yes, I'm looking at the wrong thing here. Uh, Michael Hetherington says, can we turn Tim up, please? He sounds a bit quiet compared to Hindoff. Well, John told me I was too loud earlier, so uh, I turned myself uh, down. Shea says she can hear the birds and the river. Uh, Paul per- Parkin says, I'm listening to the podcast because I'm on the flight to Lublin, Poland to see my girlfriend tomorrow. Two-hour flight, two-hour show, perfect. That's uh, only Paul. true of him right now because actually he isn't doing that until the point where he does. Okay. Uh, Barnab- the fabulously named Barnaby Scarf is listening... Um, uh, oh, sorry. He says, no apologies. Listening whilst driving for the first time ever due to a one-off shift change. Sure, could be a one-off tonight uh, only. Looking forward to all the usual features. Well, the good news is... Uh, you'll be getting all the usual features and a bit more. I, I think we need to find out what he's uh, driving for the first time. Yes, could still do with a... Uh, well, I, I don't know if the listeners are fine. Uh, EFA's Alexander Orkin celebrating his 25th wedding anniversary. That started yesterday and is still going on. Uh, Rob, the whole excellent, year. Excellent stuff, Rob, uh, uh, Alexander. Rob Jayner, apologies, listening uh, on the run to the sun, uh, the, the London Marathon on Sunday for Shelter, uh, the homeless charity. A very good charity there, Rob. Good luck on the weekend. It's going to be damned hot, real hot, hotter than a hot thing on Sunday in London. Uh, and then there's going to be a thunderstorm right at the end. So hydrate and take your wellies. Uh, Rob Chalmers has no apologies for absence tonight. Uh, listening live, one of my last training rides for the Paris-Dakar meets Paris-Roubaix 215-mile ride across the country to raise money for Prostate UK, another good cause. Um, excellent stuff. Uh, I'll, uh, Rob, good luck on that. That that's, sounds like too much like hard work. Um, Chris Suku is at the Milan Furniture Fair and will be looking out for the podcast. Really? Do I read anything into that, Chris? Anything shush? Anything quiet? I, I would guess that he's moving to northern Italy and is looking for some furniture for his uh, new place of residence. Uh, the Racing Bar Stewart says, listening live tonight while planning my motorsport uh, calendar for the rest of the year. And uh, says, uh, RSL is the NHS of broadcasting. We love both organisations in the UK. Free at the point of use. The democracy of radio continues. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. Let's have the jingle, shuffle the papers and get into the top story, Tim. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And what's the top story tonight, Tim, dare I ask? Uh, The top story tonight is Formula One. That's where you go. Is this where I, is this where I scream like a girl? Yes. Or can I just say hello, everyone? Well, if you were Nick Damon, you would say... Yay! Very but good. I'm not, so can I just say hello, everyone? Yes, Nick Damon is uh, flying back from Germany at the moment. Is it Germany? I thought he said Gibraltar. <laughs> it starts with the same letter. Yeah. So there's every, every opportunity for... No, it's Germany, I think. Uh, Joe Bradley... Our uh, nostalgia correspondent, normally. Yes, yeah, stepping into... He's very quiet suddenly. He I wasn't, know. He wasn't this quiet in rehearsal. No, I wasn't, was I? What's, there, it? There's better. Yeah. I'm moving I'm back. I'll mic. stand up instead of lying down. 
That's much better. Yeah, it's much better when I stand up. It's being outside in front of the fire, you see. Can't hear the fire at the moment, actually. We need to get that sorted out. Um, the I'll, I'll bring the effects mic out in just a moment and get a bit of fire uh, for you. <laughs> the fire pit working uh, nicely at the moment. Uh, Formula One, then. Where do you want to start with Formula One, Mr. Green? I'd like to start in Shanghai. All right. Uh, where there was a race this weekend. There was a race. Uh, and uh, it was... Quite an eventful race, uh, so I'm going to start by asking Joe a question. Which current Formula One driver, after the race, was heavily criticised by Helmut Marco? Um, did he criticise his own boy, Mr. Verstappen? Max Verstappen is correct. Mm. So I'm glad to hear to, that. Move on to the next question. Which current Formula One driver was criticised after the race by Christian Horner? Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen? Yes. Which current Formula One driver was criticised after the race by Jos Verstappen? Jos Verstappen. <laughs> Max Verstappen. Max Verstappen. <laughs> Sorry, Max Verstappen. You put me off there. I'm glad to hear that. And, and I'm sick of hearing, he's only young. He's not. It's his third he's season. Not. He's done more Grand Prix than some people... Did in a whole career in the 70s and 80s. That's a good point. Um, he wasn't very good, was he? He's been racing a kart since he was five years old. He's been competing in karts since he was, what, six, seven, eight, whatever it is in Holland where they where he started. But he's, he's got this is far the more track experience than... This is the season where his head implodes. This is the end of Max Verstappen as a Formula 1 driver. He's not the first He's not the first superstar to start as a crasher. No. Punt the shunt, Gilles Villeneuve, or and Senna for his whole career. And Senna wasn't really Oh, didn't you really just have a reputation can't, you just as a crasher. Well, no, he just crashed into people, didn't well, he? Well, no. When people refused to be intimidated I by Enough, him. I'm not being drawn into this. We have no time for this. We have no time for this. It's, it's a whole program. Move along from been dead the 25 years nearly. Move on. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear he was criticised because what he did was ridiculous. It really was a really poor move. And yes, he might have been on the limit of his breaks, but I, so I tell think, you one you thing know, that I'm going to say about him that I never thought I'd hear myself say: he was quite humble he was. and seemed to be at least said the right words afterwards. He didn't say that, you know, on the radio, in the heat of the moment, he turned into me. No, he didn't. No, he didn't at all. He was he already... Gave, Vettel actually gave him room. Vettel seen him coming. He, he wasn't. Vettel was on his... Apex deliberately. Vettel was on his way around the corner and missed the apex by a car's width, and you still managed to run into him. Yeah. However, he seemed conciliatory. He seemed like he... Max, this is, seemed like he wanted... Well, that's because it wasn't, it wasn't a 50-50, it wasn't a 60-40, it was a 90-10, if that, 95 A low percentage five. lunge, sir. It really was, and I, I, I mean, you know, he was, all right, desperation, he could see Danny Rick disappearing ahead, mm-hmm. he knew he had the same car, he knew he had the same performance level, and he just wanted to get it done, and I think he was, you know, perhaps a little bit optimistic and a little bit overzealous, and hopefully he learned from it and become better, no. because he is a talent. He's been indulged, Joe. Unfortunately, and this is what happens when you indulge people. He's had some big crashes. He's he's taken people out. He's had issues in the past, and he's been indulged. I honestly, um, I I thought that, you know, you said it. He's not a kid anymore. And and 
people have got to, I'm pleased that people have begun to see what other people have already been saying about them. You just can't make excuses for these people. If you if you were in Formula One, you have to be better than that. You mean he's been indulged to the point where he's now brattish and arrogant and he can't do no wrong mm-hmm. until he does something wrong, yep. uh, as a, which was as blatantly obvious even to himself. Yes. And, all right, you know, he, he showed humility, he showed humbleness. Um, certainly... Vettel, I thought, was very restrained in how he dealt with him. And you saw the, the camera was on the, the back of Vettel and you could see Verstappen's face. And there was no sign from Verstappen of any kind of arrogance there. It was, yep, yep, I know what I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to try. Yeah, I will. I'll try my best not to do that again. I promise I'll not do that again. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes. Great race, though. It's been a great season, I think. It's been a season. I know we've only had three races, but I have been absolutely enthralled by all three races, even Australia, which is never a good To me, though, it's been a season that has been already, has shown up the inadequacies of Formula One stewarding, Formula One race direction, Formula One regulations. We had the race in Australia ruined by the fact that they don't close the pits for the virtual safety car. We had this weekend. Why was it ruined by that? It's only ruined if you're a Lewis Hamilton fan. No, it's ruined when the leader of the race doesn't get the chance to pit first under any kind of safety car. And that is unfair and makes it a lottery. And that's why it ruins it. But he still went on to win, so it doesn't matter. Uh, well, this weekend, Tim, you This could weekend argue was ruined by the fact that the, 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 the race directors put the safety car boards out at the wrong time to not allow the, the people who were at the front of the field to get into the pits. They Which put the safety car boards out when there is an incident that requires a safety car. Then close the pits. Then close the p- All of this can be solved by closing the pits, which Formula One steadfastly refuses to closing do. Closing the pits is not the solution. It well, is the solution, I, because I, you've got to give the guy in the front of the field who's worked hard to be at the front of the field, either by speed or tactics, to have the first chance to take the, the strategy call. Otherwise, you might as well just... It's its like playing the old Grand Prix game and rolling a six. Yeah, because Bottas, Vettel, um, their races were ruined by the, their track position when the safety car went out. Now, what John's saying is if you then um, close the pits until the track position of the leaders were there for enabling Scramble them safety to car whenever you want. enter the pits and mm-hmm. open the pits at that point Correct. when they're two-thirds around the lap... Yep. That's all Hindoff's saying here. And I, you've kind of... I, I see you have to. I'm kind of agreeing with you um, because you, you're disadvantaging the, 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 the guys that's in the lead. Yeah. And, and why that, should you do that? That's unfair, isn't it? it that's, that, that's like saying to a team that's 3-0 down, we're going to take two players off the other squad until you get back on terms. Mm. And that's what happened, and that's why Danny Rick won the race. Danny Rick did a great job. But he was on better tyres, and he—that wasn't his call. It wasn't even the team's call. It was the race director's call. The other thing that they got wrong was a 10-second penalty for ruining somebody's race, and still ending up ahead of that person is not a proper penalty. Before we move on to the penalty, what I what I must say is, um, if the if the if the pits were closed and Bottas did have an opportunity and Vettel had an opportunity to come in and do what a race exactly would have had what, Well, what I'm going to see is I'm going to be a, play a little bit of devil's advocate. Red Bull had nothing to lose. They, Correct. They had nothing to lose. They they had to come into the pits. They had to go into fresher tyres and softer tyres. 
Would you have made that call if you were leading the race, as was Mercedes? Yes. Would you have still pitted for certainly fresher tyres? Yeah, probably. You would have if everybody was behind you in the safety car. I think, and that's the call. Would you have done though? Because it's a massive risk if everyone else stays out. Because suddenly you're twenty second. That's what I'm saying. Now, would Red Bull have stayed out? If Mercedes had come in, if let's all right, but they didn't get that opportunity. Yeah, but let's say we've closed the pits. Let's say Bottas is coming round two thirds around the lap. Yeah. Let's say Bottas and Vettel come in. Your Red Bull, you're going to do opposite what you did at the weekend. Yeah. You're going to stay out and take over the race. But then that's a choice for Ed that everybody gets to make on the same grounds. That's like Phoenix a couple of weeks ago for IndyCar. The guys at the head of the field had the choice to come in under the final caution with eight laps to go. They didn't take it. The guys behind did. Eventually, they got hunted down. I have no problem with that. That's a pro- that is a genuine decision a that everybody makes that decision. That decision was taken away from the people at the front of the field because of the timing of the safety car boards coming out and the pits not being co- closed. It wasn't taken away from them, though. It was just never a decision they had. If there had been no safety car, they wouldn't have had that decision. No, but there was a safety car, but and they weren't allowed to take advantage of it as they were disadvantaged sh- by the safety car. They were disadvantaged by the safety car, Tim. They, they were disadvantaged they by the safety car. They ran their race strategy. They were disadvantaged by the safety car because once once the Red Bulls had come in, they couldn't come in because they were giving up track position at that point. I, so th- at that point, that's not a clever call by Red Bull. Red Bull did exactly the right thing, by the way. I'm not criticising Red Bull. I'm not criticising Danny Rick. I'm criticising race direction because at the point that the safety car came out, the leading cars weren't able to take advantage in the same way that Red Bull were. And at that point, that ceases to become a level playing field and becomes a lottery. If that's what the top of our sport is, that's fine. That's fine. But then let's... i tell you what. Let's have a fan vote every race so that at some random time during the race, we throw a safety car and the back of the field gets to go in and put brand new sticky tyres on where everybody else has got to stay out at the front. Now, if I actually suggested that, I'd be shouted down for being ridiculous because... That's not pure sport. What we saw at the weekend wasn't pure sport. Formula One's never been pure sport. I didn't say it was. Formula One used to uh, draw its grids through a raffle. Yeah, a bit of a lottery, isn't it? That's uh, my ten pence. What, what is Formula One uh, going to uh, do as part of its global expansion plan? Expand throughout the rest of the globe? Uh, which specific part of the globe? Uh, I'll give you a clue. Afghanistan. It's related to the, the timing of this announcement. It's quite important. Uh, where are we now? We're in April. What happens in April? Um, what happened last weekend? We were in Long Beach. In Formula One. Uh, China. Yes, Formula One's going to set up a base in China. Set up a base? To do what? Uh, To be its second headquarters after London. Really? Yes. That's interesting. Yes. Will they have a fan shop? (laughs) They 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 might (laughs) Almost certainly. They'll Uh, be selling... Things that look quite like a Ferrari Formula One car, but aren't, if it's China. <laughs> Kimi Raikkonen flags as well. No, no, Kimi Raikkonen's. There'll be a lot lots, of th- lots of Kimi Raikkonen's that are so close to Kimi Raikkonen, but not quite. Oh, I see where you're going with that. 
<laughs> Liberty are in talks with uh, various organisations uh, to be partners in this uh, new headquarters, including the Wuhan DDMC Culture Company. Made up name. And uh, Suing. Right. Uh the front runners in terms of venues are Shanghai and Beijing, but there are a number of other uh, cities in China that are uh, interested in hosting this building. Mm. I'm sure. Is it? Uh, <laughs> it's not the first time we've heard about things like this. Um, Dubai um, has a huge Formula One. Oh no, it no, doesn't. It's a does it? Thing. No, that was meant to be Formula One World at Dubai um, Motorplex, and that didn't happen. That was a mind. That was a Bernie sanction thing, wasn't it? Uh, what's wrong with Mercedes? They don't know anything about tactics. <laughs> they don't know how to roll a six at the right time. They're not very good from about coming from behind, are they? They seem to be they seem to be easily confused when they have to actually race and not control a race. When everyone's watching them, they seem to be happier than when they're having to watch someone else and, sit and, and race tactics. They're only any good on one set of tyres. They uh, can't follow Joe, people. Joe's point is quite interesting. They can't follow people. Because uh, Daniel Ricciardo, uh, that was his sixth Grand Prix win. None of which have been inside the top four from a starting position. And the other Red Bull is driven by Max Verstappen, and he's mm-hmm. had three Grand Prix wins. And how many times has he won from pole? Never. And are there any other drivers on the grid who have won races but never won from pole? Uh, everybody except the Mercedes drivers. No, no it's Nobody. just Red Bull. Just Red Bull. So Red Bull only win races when everybody else gets it wrong then? Or get help from race direction? Is that what we're saying? The current Red Bull drivers do, yes. Right, OK. Um... The Mercedes did not. Sorry, I moved my mic there. The yeah, Mercedes did not look happy when it had to follow. Yeah. It really didn't. And the tyres? Well, Mercedes do a lot of laps on one particular tyre, don't they? They're like what last year was the medium, which I think this year is the soft. Soft, isn't it? I, I, did it go the other way? I don't know. But they do. They don't seem to get as much out of the softer tyres as everybody else does. And interestingly, the Red Bull gets more out of the softer compounds. The Prime and the Option, as the teams call them, whatever they are. Uh, Today, uh, we've had the announcement of which tyres are going to be used at Baku, which is the next race. They'll be round and black and have Pirelli on the side. Pirellis, aren't they? Yeah, they are Pirellis. what colours? Purple. Um, I'd say soft and super soft. They get uh, three to choose from. And ultra soft. Do they have super soft and ultra soft? Yeah. Soft, super soft and ultra soft. They do. And then there's mega soft, softer than mega soft. Do we have a hyper soft? Andrex soft. There's Andrex soft. Do we just have a mush? Yes. (laughs) A mush type. Mush is great. (laughs) That should have been the name for the hyper soft. It's just like melted rubber. Yes. You put it on the t- it's just like melted chocolate kind of like a like a melt. Mm. Does like Jackie have something like what, to say what, about that? What happens to a Not Mars bar when you leave it in the right, sun? Okay. Yeah. So Jackie normally has something to say about <laughs> that. Uh, mm-hmm. So for Baku, yes. uh, 
they're not going to back you at the traditional time of year. No, that's true. It's going to be cooler. So you have a soft tyre, a super soft tyre, and the ultra soft tyre. Mm-hmm. So everyone has chosen lots of ultra softs. Mm-hmm. Right. And everyone has chosen either one or two sets of softs. Right. The interesting thing is that Raikkonen has only got one set of super softs for the whole weekend. And the only other person who only has one set of super softs for the whole weekend is Marcus Ericsson. Oh, really? Um, at the other end of the scale, uh, Hulkenberg, Sainz and Stroll have four sets each. Right. Um, Bottas has three, Ricardo has three, Verstappen has three, uh, Hamilton and Vettel have two. So given the unpredictable, not so much unpredictable, but unknown uh, climactic conditions... Mm. Um, Plus the wet, of course. That seems quite... uh, It's not going to rain in Baku. Well, you say that. It's very arid there, isn't it? Well, it's a... a, um, Holiday venue. Couldn't think of the word holiday there. Wonder why. You claim you've never had one. I've never had one since 2000. Yes, that's for work, Tim. That's for work. Um... Let's have a quick look at some of the Twitter Ridge. Jonathan Frank is enjoying one at the pub. Um, and if that... <laughs> right, OK, very good. The pig and whistle with what looks to be a very nice uh, Healy 3 litre, 3,000, uh, outside in watercolour. Uh, fine. Uh, racing, uh, the racing bar says, Is Max Verstappen actually Helmut Marko's son, a la Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker? <laughs> Allegedly. Uh, Dolly Z Lama blessing the Pope this week. Don't remember Darth Vader being Helmut Marco's son. No. <laughs> uh, and uh, hang on a second. Let me scroll down. Uh, Jonathan Frank says no flying today. Uh, greetings from Houston. Sarah Rigsby. Uh, Rigby, excuse me, Sarah. Looking forward to pack show tonight. Love the 24-hour Nürburgring quality race this weekend. Can't wait for the main race in May, which we'll have in line, uh, sound and vision, of course. Keep it coming to uh, at Specutainment. Uh, moving on. Uh, Pirelli is going to start its in-season tyre testing programme for 2018. This is the Nick Damon uh, Memorial tyre testing programme, obviously. And uh, which drivers has it selected to uh, undertake these tests this year? Ooh, Charles Leclerc. Tis I. It is not him. Um, Fernando Sirot- Alonso. Sirotkin. No. These are people who are not current Formula oh, 1 drivers. Oh. Um, Lando Norris. No. David Brabham. No. Sir Jack Brabham. No. Bruce McLaren. Give no. us a clue. Come Tim. on, Tim. Narrow it down a bit. Uh, one of them is a Ferrari test driver. Uh, Gutierrez. No. Begins with the same letter. Jeanette? No, he's not a Ferrari test driver anymore, is he? Is he? Probably know. still is. They have a million of them. All right, just tell us, Tim. Antonio Giovinazzi. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, and the other one is a uh, Russian mm-hmm. who's previously raced for uh, Toro Rosso, Red Kvyat. Bull, Toro Rosso. Kvyat. Daniel Kvyat, yes. I'm glad he's finding he, himself behind well, the Hang on, though. Some so whose car is he driving? 
They're driving Pirelli's car. This is the Pirelli tyre. Oh, tech. so this is as Tom Christensen did many years ago for Michelin when he drove an old Williams, I think it was, that Michelin had I, I, bought. I, rem- I remember that. I don't know what car it was, though. I, I might be. I, was, I can't remember what it was. So this is this is a last year's car. No, this is this year. They're starting with this year's Ferrari at Fiorano, and they will be testing wet tyres. Because they can wet Fiorano, of course. And then they will move on to uh, Barcelona, uh, where they'll be testing slick tyres using a current McLaren and a current Haas. So is that why they have to be not current drivers then because obviously no, these are both current Ferrari drivers apparently because Kriat signed uh, as a oh, yeah, Ferrari a development driver in January I've just been informed so presumably they'll pick two different drivers uh, for next for th- month's test ah and, and they'll presumably be development drivers for the manufacturer's concern yes. is that what we're seeing uh, then they do some tie testing at Paul Ricard uh, which again will be wet using Mercedes I think they can wet that again as then well then they go to Vallelunga uh, with a Toro Rosso uh, over the Le Mans weekend. Then they go to Silverstone with a Red Bull and a Williams. Then right. back to Paul Ricard f- to test the McLaren wet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then two weeks later, they're back at Paul Ricard for a Mercedes-Ferrari slick combination. Mm-hmm. Then they go to Suzuka and test slicks, pointless, with a Renault. <laughs> Actually, can't argue with that. And finally, they do some tyre testing in Mexico in October uh, with a Sauber on slick tyres. Okay. And as you say, Tim, I presume they're going to get different drivers for each of those uh, depending um, on uh, which car car they're using. Yeah. That's all I can think of. Uh, let's move on to two wheels. Okay. Because there was plenty of bike action. There the was. Weekend. We're going to start at Brands Hatch. Indy Circuit. British Superbikes. Yes. And it's not just for young men anymore. It's not. After a dominant uh, performance by um, Bradley Ray at uh, Bradley Ray. Donington Park in mm-hmm. the opening uh, weekend, uh, this weekend it was the return of uh, young whippersnapper. Uh, Shane Byrne uh, <laughs> to take the winning race one. Right. Is he the oldest rider in British? He must be. I think he's the oldest one who's doing a full season. Right. Okay, I'll buy that. Um, but I do not have a full entry list with everyone's dates of birth. Oh dear. It's a remiss of you, Tim. <laughs> I thought that was the sort of thing that you would uh, immediately have to hand, if I'm honest. Uh, and the second race... I don't like bike racing, you know this. <sighs> I don't have enough wheels. I was... It's two... Half the wheels, twice the fun. Duh. I was in London on Tuesday on two, two wheels as two well. Two wheels bad, four wheels good. Remember I think George the, Orwell. I think that's the other way around, <laughs> actually. Although, frankly, the amount of people who try to kill me going into London and coming out of London on Tuesday, um, I might just agree with you for once. Um, I couldn't look more like a police bike if I tried, and still I'm invisible to people. I saw someone who was wearing a fluorescent uh, yellow uh, jacket with uh, the two tones of grey 
fluorescent um, checkerboard pattern down the sides and the word polite on the back. Polite, yes. He looked very much like a policeman. Yes. Uh, second race was... Was it Eugene Laverty that won? Uh, no. Who won the second race? Leon Haslam. Leon Haslam. Oh, so that went back to the youth then. I thought I thought was both older. I only saw a bit of the first race, to be honest. He's, he's not up. that young, Leon Haslam. Well, I mean, he's obviously he's younger than Von Haslam. Yes. Indeed. I still think of him as the kid, unfortunately. There are probably well, 24 bikes were in that race, and I would say a good 15 of them were younger than Leon Haslam. Yes. See, the first time I met him, he was still doing super teens. Um, 42 now, isn't he? <laughs> and his dad was in... Well, maybe he wasn't doing super teens. Maybe he was doing 125, British 125, and his dad had entered 125 to help him set up the bike. And everybody else's dads was complaining that Ron Haslam... <laughs> but he entered the championship. Yeah. Absolutely. So that was... Which I thought was quite a cool thing to do. Do you know what year Leon Haslam made no, his uh, don't. bike racing debut? Don't. Go on, tell me. 1998. Oh, first year we did the American Le Mans series for the full series. I oh, know that was first Petit Le Mans, wasn't it? 1998, 1999 was the first series. He's 34. Four. Yes, he is. He'll be 35 next month. That's scary. Yeah. That's that kid. That's that kid, Leon Haslam. Off. I wasn't far off. I know. Was 42. I know, you're absolutely right. Uh, moving on. Uh, World Superbikes. Uh, We're at Aragon. Yes, because they have to go to Spain. Every week. Quite often. Every other week, isn't it? I do like Aragon just for that um, dry stone wall thing in the background later on in the lap, which <laughs> is just its just one I of the best. one of those at um, Valencia as well. It's just a fantastic... Um, it's just a fantastic backdrop to uh, any racetrack and I've been hoping that some um, uh, sports car series would go there so I would get to go there it's just fantastic stuff absolutely fantastic GT Open goes there doesn't it does it? Hang on, I'm just going to move the effects mic closer to the fire here. I can hear the fire now. Right. Can you still hear the crickets? I can still hear the crickets. They're still louder than the fire. Okay. Oh, we now have more than... more crickets. There you go. Okay. I just wanted you to hear the fire, because Joe and I have got a... It's getting darker here now. It's not that we need it. It's really, really... It's it's warm, but it's pleasant. It's providing some light. It is, yeah, we're sitting here. We've got the computers going now. You're going to need to get some um, shorts on, though, over your speedos. The leather thong is not the right thing to be sitting in at the moment, is it? No. Uh, Aragon, let's get back to Aragon quickly before we lose everybody. Uh, Winner of race one? Uh, Was it Johnny Ray by any chance? It was, just uh, as in uh, Thailand three weeks ago. Uh, Johnny Ray won race one, and right. race two was won by... Who was second in race one? Chaz Davis. So Chaz Davis probably won. If it wasn't Johnny Ray, it must have been Chaz Davis that won race two. Yes. So and was uh, Johnny Ray second? He was. So who's right. leading the championship now? Uh, Johnny Ray, presumably. And who's second in the championship uh, now? Chaz Davis. Yes. Okay. 
Uh, Alex Lowe's is fifth, Tom Sykes is seventh, and Leon Cammy is eighth. That's a lot of Brits in there, isn't it? Well, it's just the five. I mean, there was a point last year where I think five of the top six were British, whereas this year it's only five of the top eight. Oh, how fantastic. Uh, okay. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Shall we move on? Have we got a guest? We do. Excellent. Um, uh, later on this evening, as we uh, might have mentioned, we have got a new show. Uh, we'll tell you a bit more about that in a moment. Uh, poor Richard Creel has had to get up early. I'm, I was going to say good evening to you, uh, Richard, but at your time of day out in Australia, I've got to say good morning to Richard Creel. Morning, John. How are you? Uh, very well, very well. And you, well, you can't just be well. You must be ecstatic <laughs> at the moment. The big news, and this is huge, that Ford mm. is heading back to the supercars with the Ford Mustang. That's one big story, but... More importantly, Ford Australia are going to put money back into it. Now, this has been sort of bubbling for a little while, but I'm not sure that everybody was ready for it to break when it actually did. No, it, it's been stewing in the background for some time, and, and for, for a bit of background, Ford withdrew almost completely from Australian motor racing in the 2014 season when their um, news came through that they were going to stop producing cars in Australia. They were the first of the three manufacturers in Australia to pull out of local branding. So they took a massive step back. They pulled out of all, a lot of their major corporate sponsorships, um, including motor racing, just to um, charge things up, I suppose, and work out where they were as a company and rebrand and get set to being an import-only company. Um, what's happened since then is the Mustang has come to Australia now. They're building it in right-hand drive. And within 12 months, it bumped the Toyota GD86 off the top of Australia's top-selling sports car. So it's had an enormous reaction here. And Ford slowly started re-engaging with their major teams in Tickford Racing and DJR Team Penske. Um, and this has been bubbling for a while. And, and there's been rumours of Mustang in supercar for probably 24 months. Yeah, A lot of it started as teams doing it privately without any manufacturer backing. Uh, to do that, all they would need is a license from Ford to go and do it. But the preferred approach is to have a more engaged manufacturer. But what what's happening now is Ford are back involved, but they're doing it smart. They're not having to spend an enormous amount of money to be a manufacturer in the sport, which I think's the model that the sport here, especially, but certainly in other parts of the world, need to go. So why it'll it'll be a works program. The manufacturer is actively engaged. They're going to market it. They're going to promote it. It's the teams driving this process, mm-hmm. um, which I think is the smart way to do it. So Ford get huge benefit. They get involvement. Teams get a cool new car. The series gets a Mustang, which is iconic. And I think everyone's a winner out of this. Does it get a V8, though? Because this is running under the Gen 2 rules, which means it doesn't have to be a V8 engine. It does have to run on the, on the, on the specific chassis uh, that the regulations mandate, which might mean a bit of work to the two-door coupe body but is it going to get the v8 yes it will so that was one of the big questions and tim edwards who's the boss of tickford racing who's going to lead the homologation and the design of this car with penske um said look we only wanted to deal with one variable so we wanted to deal with aero and bodywork um we'll worry about engines down the road and ford backed that up and it makes sense for them because they still sell 
a V8 Mustang with a five litre Ford V8. So hey, you're going to get the, you're going to get the bullet car in Australia later on this yes. year as well, which means we might get it yes, as well in right hand drive. And I can see some marketing times with motorsport on that because it's just a perfect <laughs> scenario, isn't it? I'm already <laughs> writing me letter out to see if I can get a hold of one for a drive up to Bathurst. Well, you, uh, yeah, well, you may as well just move here. Seriously, we've, we've got it sussed, right? <laughs> I've been so looking at property, it's mate. Great. Yeah, I know. I know. There's some nice stuff around Mount Panorama, actually, I've noticed. Um, it, so it's great news. It's really good news. Um, the body will fit on the chassis, so the Gen 2 rules were designed around the potential introduction of two-door coupe-style cars. Um, the new Holden Commodore, the ZB Commodore, is a quite rakish five-door hatch um, fastback-style sedan car. So um, that's already got quite a low roof profile. Mm. So I don't think they'll have an enormous amount of drama fitting the Mustang body on. It's going to make a really good-looking race car. Um, and it... It ticks all the boxes from this point of view. Oh, it's, I mean, it's massive for marketing. And does... I mean... Yep. All right. The, the new Holden Commodore, which is the insignia of where we are, uh, it's a Buick model uh, in the US, normally a front-wheel drive or all-wheel drive car. It's won seven of the eight supercar races already this year. It's it That's had a lot of work on it to, to make it work with the supercar rules. However... Does it rather does does Ford have Ford taken the initiative here, Creelsey, and have they pushed Holden GM into saying, "Well, we're going to have to have a Camaro"? <laughs> um, possibly, it, it's it's a possible thing. Now, whether it's GM themselves that do that, or whether it's a private team, because mm. Camaros in imported by HSV. Now, HSV is owned by. Walkinshaw Group, yeah, um, and they while they have an, a branding and licensing agreement with GM to bring cars here, they are technically a separate entity. So there's not an ownership stake involved. So they're bringing Camaro in for the next two or three years before Chevy start making them in right-hand drive, uh-huh. and they're going to do the conversions here and sell them in right-hand drive. So there's a very good chance that this new team that's that's evolved out of what used to be the Holden Racing Team, Walkinshaw Andretti United. Marco, uh, Michael Andretti, picking him, uh, and uh, Zach Brown involved with Ryan Walkinshaw and the Walkinshaw family, um, there's a very good chance that they could go, well, we're importing Camaro to sell under the HSV brand. Why don't we run a Camaro instead mm. of a ZB Commodore? So you could conceivably have two GM cars. That's just pie in the sky talking, but it is a, a realistic option. And does that open the door for Nissan to come back with the coupe version, obviously the the V6, but with the GTR, because Nissan have sort of, you know, been struggling just a little bit. They haven't quite got what they wanted uh, out of the ultimate. Um, but that, you know, the new Gen 2 regulations means you can have that two-door. You don't have to have the V8 engine. We get into the gnarly uh, area of equivalency here, but if, if that happens. Yeah. But again, you know, it seems to me that Ford have made the jump, and if the Blue Oval have done it, people are going to be looking at this. Yep, 100%. The, the Nissan one is a massive question mark, and that's now where attention will turn. Now we know what Ford and the, the 10 or so cars that they've got in the championship mm. will do. Um, Nissan's the big question mark. They've not performed, and whether that's 
a team issue or whether it's a brand not investing enough in it issue or whether it's a combination of the two, um, which I suspect is probably the more likely yeah. scenario. It's never just one God, thing, um, really, only, is it? Yeah, God only knows they've got good enough drivers to do the job. But um, that that's the next question. The, the common school of thought at the moment is that Nissan are probably gone at the end of the year um, and that, that that team, Kelly Racing, will revert to running either Holden's or they'll, they'll do something else. But... I don't know, maybe they'll look at it. Maybe they'll see what Ford have done and go, do you know what, how iconic would a GTR be oh. in supercar spec rather than GT3 spec? Yeah. Um, for me, though, there's, there's probably some branding and some uh, some issues around clarity with that. Given, given in mind the success of the GTR program globally in GT3, yes. do you run the risk of, of clouding the issue a little bit? And people go, well, we've got a GT3 racing in Blancpain, uh, in uh, Pirelli World Challenge, what is what is this GDR racing in Australia? Why does it look slightly different? What what's that all about? I don't, I don't know if that works. That's something that the marketing types in Nissan would probably have to deal with. But could, could you make it really, an Infinity? Really cool. Could you make it one of the Infinity Coupes, the Q60 or something yeah. like that? Yeah, you could. And Infinity's in Australia now, yeah. so they've been here a couple of years. So I've yeah, that, that would work. Yep. And if and if that's mm, the that'd case, be good. I'd. I'd yeah, absolutely, mate. Uh, and if that's the case, then what did Toyota do? Because there's an opportunity there with the new Supra around the corner on the BMW Z4 coupe here. And, and, and this all has been opened up because Ford have used the iconic, uh, iconic word Mustang two-door coupe here. There's all sorts of things that opens up there, though, isn't there? Yes. Yeah, there is. Toyota's a funny one down here. They, they just... They have an involvement in motor racing. And historically, it's been via rallying, which sort of mirrored what they do in World Rally Championship status. Um, they're now reasonably invested in the Toyota 86 One Make series, which is very strong. Actually starts this weekend at Phillip Island. They've got 35 cars running. It's, it's very competitive. Um, but outside of that, they've never shown an inclination to get involved in supercars, perhaps in the same way that they do in the States in a, at a NASCAR level. And I experienced their involvement in NASCAR at Daytona earlier this year, and it's extraordinary. They leverage it brilliantly. It's No one cares that Toyota don't sell a V8-powered Camry on the road <laughs> because they, act, they they just don't. They, they activate it so well around Correct. it, and their branding and their marketing and their promotion is great. So that, for me, is proof that you could run a, a Camry or, or something similar in supercars or ultimately something a little bit more, uh, a little bit more sexy. But what I love about the Australian marketplace is that you've got guys, well, you have got people in the major manufacturers out there who seem to be petrol heads. Graham Wickman, who's the president and CEO of Ford, clearly is right up for this. He's a petrol head and, you know, he wants to to get things going as quickly as possible uh, with Mm. this particular car. Uh, Christian Aquilina, who's the the Holden side of things, says, bring it on. We want to stick Mustang to the back of the racetrack. And and we've seen in the past (laughs) with the guys from from Nissan uh, and and other manufacturers, they do have a bit of autonomy in Australia. And and that might actually work reasonably well here if this starts to look good. Yeah, agreed completely. This was such a critical component so holden committed for another couple of years when they they committed to running the the zb commodore 
um, after the, the, the massive upheaval there. And they were the biggest story of all in withdrawing from manufacturing because Holden's the uniquely Australian car company. They've been owned by yeah. GM for decades, but they still had that very Australianness about them. So, Correct. And, and they've done an absolutely horrific job of marketing that changeover, by the way. And it, it cost... <laughs> Um, it cost the marketing chief his job just last week. He was sacked because um, their sales have fallen to an all-time low for 35 years, and it, it's been a it's been a real challenge. But what they have done successfully is continue their investment in motorsport, yeah. and that's that's got them some PR brownie points back. But getting Ford's back involved was just absolutely critical because you could see with with the weight of Roger Penske involved. Had they not engaged, and I'm I'm 100% convinced that he was a major driver in this happening. Um, had they not engaged, he would have just gone to one of his 400 other business connections in the motoring world and done a deal with someone else to bring another brand in, and that might have ruled Ford out altogether. But Ford and Holden still racing on the racetracks of Australia. It just seems right. <laughs> Anyone else on top of that, for mine, is a bonus. We want more brands, but... As long as you've got those two actively engaged and having that, that classic battle, I think supercars are in a really good place. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And um, I, I, I've seen, having been down there a couple of times, down with you a couple of times uh, already this year, um, the local press about the new Commodore. The irony, of course, is the new Commodore, the insignia as we know it, is a fabulous car and a massively underrated car even in Europe and in the States. Mm. I just wonder, and this is the question that obviously is an intangible, you, you can't really answer it, should it really have been called the Commodore? Could it have been called something else? Could it have been handled better, as, as you rightly said? It's, a, it's an interesting one. Um, it, it's, But to, to have Ford back in and spending money, Ford Australia spending money, that is more important even than having the Mustang in, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, they could have run a Mondeo. They could have run whatever they liked, and it would have worked. And and that's mirrored up because they're bringing the, the Raptor Ranger in uh, as a recovery vehicle. So there's, there's no more way. levels to their involvement now. Yeah, yep. So actually, that was probably my favourite part of the announcement. I watched it online when they, they streamed it a few days ago. Like, oh, we're, we're bringing the Raptor Ranger in because we feel like it's a good environment for our, you know, four-wheel drive tough truck to be dragging cars out of gravel traps. Well, that's that's pretty good marketing, if you ask me. That's not Brilliant. bad. So, yeah, that's, so that's that's really good to see. But like I said, it, it's a smart way of doing it because they're not going to spend much money um, relative to Holden especially, but relative to Nissan when they came into the sport, even to Volvo when they were in for a couple of years they're not going to spend a huge amount of money, but they're going to get great return because they've got two super, super teams, mm. a couple of star drivers in guys like Mostert and Winterbottom and Scotty McLaughlin, um, and they've got Roger Penske as part of the, the package, of course. So, yeah, it, it's smart, smart business by Ford Australia, and obviously the U.S. parents signed off on all yeah. this, and the, the full performance USA is involved as well. So, um, yeah, it's a good, good news story. I like it. Uh, and Mustang is now a global car, of course, as well, with a bean in right-hand yeah. drive, so that works as well. I've done a bit of, I've done a bit of research on this. As it stands at the moment, Nissan have got 30 race wins from 1960 to 2018. Holden have got 
537. Ford starts yeah. this season on, th- or start as we stand right now, on 351. So that clearly yep. means that the new car has to have a Windsor engine in it. A 351 yeah. cubic inch V8. <laughs> and if it's not got the can- cam covers that says Windsor on it, then they're, they're not thinking about it. Um, as, as somebody who uh, is a big fan of muscle cars. Um, that's great news for Australian motorsport. Um, a little bit worrying for supercars. The the uh, venture capital company that has a big stake in, in supercars not looking so good at the moment. How's that being covered uh, in uh, in your part of the world? Yeah, it, it's been discussed. But then again, that, that's been discussed for about, well, actually, it's been discussed ever since they bought into it. Um, yeah, so the, the long story short there is, is Archer Capital, which bought 60% of the sport, a little bit over 60% actually, uh, what going on six or seven years ago now. Um, they're winding up their asset ownership stake. So they're, gonna, they're getting out of their investment portfolio um, to try and get some return. Archer's been trying to sell their stake in the sport for about two years, though, um, and they couldn't get the price that they wanted, and that's probably reflected in where Supercars is at relative to where it was when they bought in. So Supercars was at the top of an absolute massive spike when Archer bought in, and it's Mm. just sort of come down probably 15% since then to a level now where it's sustainable and where it can roll. Where it was at, I don't think was sustainable with what people were spending the input involved the government funding it's just all stepped back just a smidgen not enough to detract from the show but it's just taken some of that top level value Mm. out of the game that that they felt that they had um so they held on to it but it'll get bought ultimately they're not going to get what they want they'll lose some cash over it um they'll have to deal with that that's just a thing um as for who gets involved, well, there's there's all kinds of rumours in innuendo, as always, with all this stuff. There's, there's, there's talk of Tony Cochran, who was heavily involved in the foundation of supercars in 96, 97. Talk of him getting a, a group together to buy back in. There's talk of the teams buying back a big chunk of their stake in the sport um, because they currently own over 30% of it. Um, so there's all sorts of different... Uh, theories being bandied around uh, CVC were talked about at some point I read in a, yeah. a news report you know, former owners of Formula 1 so yeah. and I noticed they're looking at um, they're looking at buying into Dorna and getting hold of MotoGP World now GP. which is interesting and, so, and World Superbike yeah. as well of course because Dorna owns, yeah. owns, owns yeah. both um, it's not the end of the world the, the, the key no. thing is that it's been presented as oh my goodness this is the sky is falling in that's not the case supercars will continue uh, it, there's yep. There's a strong business model for supercar and supercar events, and, and we deal with both uh, of those sets of people. So that's not going away anytime soon, Krilsey. No, no, it's not. And, you know, the irony is is that the announcement this week probably added <laughs> a few percent to the value of the sport. Point. Because you've all of a sudden you've now got a sport which has which had one manufacturer fully engaged, one manufacturer with a question mark, and one who had no interest up until earlier this week. Now you've got two manufacturers fully engaged investing in the series. That's got to do good things for value. Surely that's got to be good for good for business. So, yeah, interesting times. It, it won't on the surface. Nothing will change. The the people who own the pieces of paper that the sports written on may change in the background but I don't think the the product that you and I watch I don't think that will change well let's hope not anyway um, now uh, got to say in amongst all this this news that's uh, that's coming in about the the very top end of the sport in Australia 
great to say that you'll be back after this show tonight, a uh, little after 10 o'clock here on RS1, uh, with the first of a, a new series for this year. Uh, as you're looking back at the first round of the Hot Wheels Kumo Tire uh, Australian Prototype Series that was at... Uh, uh, at the at the bend, the new bend, the, the, bend. the talent yes. bend. Uh, you were very excited <laughs> about being on home ground there this weekend. Tell us a little about about the series. Uh, this is the second series of of, of the prototypes yeah. in its current form, second season. Yeah, it is. So it, it's evolved out of out of what was called the sports racer series, which was purely for the Western store kind of, I guess the stuff that used to race in IMSA prototype lights mm. in the states, um, club level style cars. It got a full rebrand, a change of ownership, and and a redirection to become what we hope will eventually be Australia's top prototype category. So the series has evolved. Um, this is its second season. It still caters to those same cars. So the 1,000cc, 500kilo, open-top, light, nimble, little Western store sports races, they're really cool. Really quick, actually. They're, they're going to be as quick as a Carrera Cup car around the Bent Motorsport Park, which was, uh, you know, it's a 4.9 lap. So, there's performance. What also happened is that there's a host of radicals that race in the Radical Cup here in Australia, both the V8 and the cylinder version. Um, and for the first time this year, CN spec prototype cars, sort of Wolf GBO8s that have come in that raced in the, um, I think they raced in the V2V series over yep. there and a bit of LMS maybe at some point. So, um, they've come into Australia as well. So now you've got this great grid, but for the first time, it's now also a little bit internationally relevant because we've got cars now that race yes. in reasonably major international series around the world. So the plan is to grow that, um, and, and nothing's been sorted yet, but I, but I can say that there have been discussions about LMP3. Oh. It's been floated around. If LMP3 comes to Australia this would be the place where it goes. It's the perfect fit for it. Yeah. Um, the series is evolving from sprint races to have some longer distance stuff later this year. So it's the platform. And the hope is that it grows and evolves into becoming a uh, becoming the prototype category in this part of the world that can lead towards going and racing in Asian Le Mans series or ELMS or yes. even further above. Uh, and it has a, a – it's a bit – you mentioned the IMSA – prototype uh the prototype challenge series prototype light series um and, and it's actually very similar to that because it has that nice balance of people who go out there to race to have some fun who aren't career drivers mm. but it also has some guys whose names we're gonna have to keep an eye on crazy yeah absolutely well and this is the first year we've seen that level as well so um there's a 16 year old teenager uh, by the name of Sage Murdoch, who's come out of Formula 4 racing here. He's decided, right, that the open wheel path probably wasn't going to work, either for means of budget or other circumstances. I'm going to go and drive one of these cars. I'm going to learn the ropes of driving cars with a slick tyre and with proper downforce and aero and, and the skills that they need to drive them. And then I might go and have a look at LMP3 in Asia and go from there. So this is the first year we've seen kids like that really target the series. The other thing is, and you mentioned the names that we're going to have to learn and some of the guys doing it for fun, they might be doing it for fun, but at the same time, it's giving them an opportunity to drive these cars and then look at going, okay, well, I might go and be an AM driver overseas somewhere. So 
that that's part of the appeal of it. Um, th- there are some terrific characters, uh, and you hear it in the show uh, after Midweek Motorsport. The guy who finishes third on the weekend. No, 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 no spoilers. No spoilers. No, we no, might not have. I've no, no, I've stayed away right. from this. <laughs> you can find it online. But, all right, I won't. I won't give away the name, but I will. I will tell you that he's a, a quite successful businessman, um, big family company, especially here in, in South Australia. <laughs> he gives me one of the great quotes. It, oh, he's okay. just a. It's it's comedic. It's the best podium interview I've done for a long time. So listen out for that at the end of the show. It's worth right. it. He's a terrific driver. All right, and he, he throws his teammate under the bus, something chronic as well. Excellent. That's the Australian Prototype Series, Hot Wheels, Kimo Tires, part of the uh, Shannon's National uh, Events Down Under, and five... Uh, five rounds this year, and Krillzy will be reporting on all of them and giving you some live commentary as well, or as live, because it, it, it happened at the weekend. Don't go look it up. Just listen to it after <laughs> uh, after Midweek Motorsport tonight and listen to it as live. Uh, it, you're going to enjoy it, I promise you. I, I watched a couple of rounds from last year when Krillzy and I have, were discussing getting this on the air, and it's absolutely bonkers brilliant Krillzy thanks for being with us I'm really looking forward to hearing that after midweek motorsport tonight mate pleasure as always looking forward to it still to come on midweek motorsport and is there any chance you could bring some dessert to the VO booth please yeah no chance at all Mark we haven't had hours uh, yet two courses tonight uh, but no dessert as of yet. Krillzy to come then after 10 o'clock with the Australian Prototype Series. Still to come in the second half of tonight's programme. Uh, more from you on Ad Specutainment. We'll be discussing the TV deal for Le Mans and the WEC in the USA. We've been talking about it for a very long time here. Finally about to be announced and... It's kind of official now. I've seen it on races, so it must be happening. Marshall Pruitt's got the story, uh, and uh, we'll be talking about that in a wee while. Uh, talking a bit of IMSA with Shea Adam and some more American news as Gearbox Girl joins us. Graham Goodwin has some more news from the world of motorsport. Joe Bradley and John Hindorf here in Thrapston, and Tim Gray up in London. Keep the comments coming to at Speculatement. Midweek Motorsport on RS1. And but before would, all that, yes, uh, more I'd, Mustang I'd like news. To, I'd like to pick up on um, this Ford Mustang uh, V8 supercars thing. Mm. Uh, last year, what was the number one uh, car manufacturer in Australia in terms of sales? <sighs> so let me uh, turn your mic on there, Joe. Sorry. Yeah, let me join in. Toyota. Yeah. Toyota is correct. They sold 216,556 vehicles. What was yeah. number two? Nissan. No. Holden? No. Ford? Ford? No. Uh, Mitsubishi? Volkswagen? No, no, no. Japanese? K- uh, is Kia Japanese? No, that's South Korean. Uh, Japanese? Honda? Honda. No. Oh. If I say the word wankle. Master. 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 Of course. 116,349. Yeah. Number three. <laughs> Honda. Something we've already mentioned. No. <laughs> no. Korean? Kia. Right, Kia. No, you'd already mentioned Kia. Hyundai. Hyundai. Right. Number four. Something we've already mentioned. Yes. Holden. Holden. Number five. <sighs> Something we've already mentioned. No. Oh, well, you might have done. If you did, I missed it. Give us a clue. What? Three diamonds. Uh, Mitsubishi. Mitsubishi. Uh, 
they had 80,654,000 fo- car sales, right. which is still twice as many cars as Ford sold in Australia last year. Well, Ford haven't been building cars and therefore haven't been pushing hard. Ford of Australia just, you know, they're not selling cars. Even when they weren't selling cars, half of them were imported from South Africa, though. It's not like they had a... It's not about where they were built. You were talking about where they were sold. None of those that you've just talked about, none of them, are now built uh, in Australia. No cars are built in Australia. No, no, that's what I'm saying, though. Um, But uh, presumably Ford would like to be in the top five in car sales in Australia. yes. Uh, and therefore, it needs uh, needs needs to start uh, investing more in uh, motorsport. Possibly, I think uh, as I, as I said to Creelsey there, um, the, I, I think it's smart to get the. Can you put another log on there, Joe? Is that is it going down? There it is. Yeah. Stick another one on there, just to the no to the right there. That's the axe. No, that's don't even touch my axe. <laughs> um, uh, I think it's a smart put thing. put the handle in the fire. Don't put the handle in. That's beach. That's lovely. You can um, get a new handle. No. No. It's beautifully balanced. Um, the Mustang, I think, is a good idea because it's a world car. You know, if you look back um, down through the years, um, in 1995, just the Ford Falcon sold, sold in, in sedan and wagon sold 81,000 in Australia. Just off the top of your head, I know. Yes, absolutely. So that would, have, that would have put it as number four. Correct. Just the sedan. Then there was another 7,000 utes and another 1,400 vans. Which would have taken it probably into the top three. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's been on a decline since the 2000... Well, probably mid-90s, actually, but there was a bit of a spike in the early 2000s. But Ford sales have been um, on a... Uh, on a decline. If you if you talk about the the Holden Commodore, has been just above the Ford Falcon, but by far the biggest. Uh, but but the Commodore is normally outsold that. Mm. Uh, in a in a marketplace that peaked in 1997 at around about 220,000 cars in the large car segment. So I I, I think it's a good idea. With my automotive hat on, and I I read a lot of um, automotive magazines rather than motorsport magazines. I think it's a great idea for Ford to get a world car over there. I think the Mustang is a car that the Aussies would like. There's a V8 version of it. There's a six-cylinder EcoBoost, uh, and there's a four-cylinder EcoBoost as well, actually, which we get here in the in the UK, which is a fantastic piece of kit. Now, okay, let's move on. Okay, what car? Is Chevrolet racing in uh, the NASCAR Cup Series this year? Uh, Chevrolet are um, racing. They shit. Adam, help me out on this. I'm sorry. What? I can't hear Tim. Um, and I can't hear Shay either. Well, you, you can hear Shay. She's very quiet. No, she'll be fine now. Uh, what car do Chevrolet race in the NASCAR Cup Series? The Camaro. No, that's in. Uh, that's yes, in the it inf- is a Camaro. Do they race that in the Cup Series? Yes. Yes, they do. Oh, right. And okay, what does sorry. Ford race this year? The um, Ford race the Fusion, don't they? And if yes. you were looking for, for a now. new car, uh, which of the two 
uh, he's the sportier, Camaro. Um, sexier brand. Is it, right, okay. Camaro's the sportier, sexier brand. Is it Camaro or Camaro? Camaro, meh, 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 or ma, ma, ma? In the States, it's Camaro. In Australia, it'll be Camaro. In a, like in Camaro. In a recent, Camaro. In a recent Le Mans historic uh, documentary, it was Camaro. Yeah, well, that was just what? wrong. <laughs> yeah, I know. He was very wrong, the uh, narrator. narrator. The voiceover Narita, artist. Yeah. Yes, the voiceover artist. Yes, so... So Ford think that uh, trying to sell the Fusion up against the Camaro is not working. So what are they going to do about it, Shay? What are they going to do about it, Shay? They are going to bring a Mustang into the Cup Series starting in 2019. So it's going to be Mustang versus Camaro versus Camry. Should be <laughs> a lot of fun. <laughs> Toyota need a kind of a sporty kind of saloon, don't they? They need the Celica back, Joe. Yeah, the Celica, as we say over Celica. in Asia. Celica. <laughs> Celica. Celica. Celicia. I Ch- think you'll find it's actually... Chalicia. Chalicia. <laughs> Ricciardo. <laughs> Daniele Ricciardo. How would you say it in Spanish? Mm. Shit. How would you say it in, in Miami Spanish? Which which word then? Celica. Celica. Uh, moving on. So, so hang on. So, what I was when I was talking to Creelsy a few moments ago, I was being, um, uh, you know, I was being slightly sort of provocative, saying, "Are we going to get the Camaro uh, in Australia?" Um, uh, however, that's already racing in the states uh, and mm-hmm. and has raced in a couple of forms. Um, however, uh, so that might actually happen, and that would both. Different types of racing, different types of cars. I understand that, but at that point here, you would have Camaro versus Mustang uh, in on two continents in two different series, and it would be brilliant. Uh, I think it was Justin Marks who was asking the other day that basically we get a form of supercars racing in the U.S. under the NASCAR mm. banner because their racing is so phenomenal that all of the states wants to be able to watch it all the time. Unfortunately, the time zones don't always match up so that it, normally their race starts around three o'clock in the morning for the East coast. doesn't work terribly well, but yeah, Mustang versus Camaro. It's so legendary. It is the great American muscle car battle, but all we need is a Dodge challenger thrown back in the mix. And then oh, yes. it really is the heyday. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, NASCAR news then. Yes. Uh, yes. More absolutely. NASCAR news. More NASCAR news then. from Tim now. Uh, ten years ago, maybe a little bit more than ten mm-hmm. years ago, there was a waiting list for tickets for Bristol. Right. If you wanted to go to Bristol, you uh, couldn't buy tickets because they sold out uh, immediately, and you put your name on a waiting list. And uh, that was always the case for Bristol, though, wasn't it? This weekend, uh, Bristol uh, was far from full. Well, they're at Bristol this weekend. Yeah, just passed. Yes. Yeah. No. The uh, the for race, a long time. The race right, happened, for a long it started time. on Sunday and finished on Monday. Oh, it was one of those, uh, was it? Due to snow. Yeah. Snow at Bristol. Snow at How Bristol. How did I miss that? Um, I was in the air when this was happening. Th- this is, this <laughs> is because climate change doesn't exist in America, obviously. Uh, that's very bizarre. And was it not... F- so was that the day race? That was the night race then? That's the day race. Oh, day the day race. August. Day race. The night race is, is later in the year. Yes, of course, you're right, Tim. Uh, that, I find that a bit... I find that disappointing, actually, Shay, that, that, that was, there was tickets available. It wasn't a full house at, at Bristol, even for... The, the night race surely will be better attended in August, though. 
Yeah, you would hope so, especially since the weather should be a lot more accommodating. Um, it, it has been such a weird spring, though, John. I'm, I'm starting to call our next venue that we're going to uh, mid-Snowhio because we've had so many <laughs> test days canceled due to snow in the middle of April. Uh, that for, for it to be at Bristol, it was pouring on rain on Sunday. They had to postpone the race, come into it on Monday. And they never get as many people showing up on a Monday, uh, even though it is Bristol. They go to Richmond this coming weekend and then Talladega. So they should be having some good turnout for the next few events. But, yeah, it's a bit of a disappointing Bristol. But, hey, the good news is Jimmy Johnson's back on form. He finished in the top three for the first time all season. Kyle Busch got another win. So that was really cool for him uh, this season. He was playing bridesmaid a lot at the beginning of the season. And he's leading the championship. I think it's Joey Logano who's in second, if memory serves. So it proves that at this stage in the championship, where they're still not even a quarter of the way through, you can be in good standing without getting that W. It's just nerve-wracking point in time when you've got guys like uh, Harvick, who's won, what, four times this year? And then Kyle Busch, who's got a pair of wins. If you're going into the midseason without that win and trying to get into the championship hunt, it gets a bit nerve-wracking. And they're off to Richmond next. Richmond, uh, Virginia. And uh, you yeah. mentioned Kyle Busch uh, because it's the 10th anniversary of that uh, infamous Richmond race. Sorry, say that again. I didn't get that. I said it's the 10th anniversary of that infamous Richmond race for uh, Kyle and Dale Jr. When... What happened then? What was infamous about it? Uh... Bush and um, uh, Bush um, did certain things, let's say, which uh, attracted the wrath of uh, Junior's fan base, and he got death threats. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, so there was a coming together. And uh, the FBI were involved. I have no recollection of that at all literally none at all of that and that was 10 years ago was it 10 years ago okay one of them's now retired and the other one's still winning races okay uh i i i'm sorry i literally cannot remember that uh from that from that long ago we uh should move on to indycar then uh, just give me a second and uh, let me get you back up over here. Uh, let's move on to IndyCar then and see if uh, Cher picks this one up. Uh, Cher, can you still hear us? Ha! Ah. Yes, excellent. I hear you. Excellent. Uh, IndyCar next then. Long Beach at the weekend and you were home as I were. Uh, I was. <laughs> we just about saw qualifying getting started before we left after the IMSA race and uh, we both sitting feet up watching it on our tellies at home. And it was lovely to be sitting wearing the uh, fluffy pink slippers, not bunny, claws, uh, to witness some of the finest driving I've seen in a long time. Most of it coming from Sebastian Bourdais. Although the best overtake of the race was ruled ineligible, of course, because he went over the blue Ugh. line. Yeah, but was he icing. forced over? Did go over of his own accord? I think it's icing, isn't it, when you go over the blue line before you're meant to? I, I, I don't understand. Uh, IndyCar, uh, offside of some description. Getting a there, Hindoff. <laughs> yes. Uh, nevertheless, domination by Sebastian, uh, by uh, Alexander Rossi, uh, yeah. who looked very, very strong again. 
front of the field, not quite so much dominated by the new breed of IndyCar drivers this time around, Shay. No, but Ed Jones still made it to the podium for his first time, and we had Zach Beach with a career-best finish of fourth. So the new breed still is working their way up through. But, I mean, the the talk of the weekend is Sebastian Bourdais and what could have been mm. from his drive. He winds up with a really poor finish because of a couple of things. Did race control close the pits too soon because it screwed over not only Dixie but Bourdais, the two of them entering what was deemed to be a closed pits because of when the caution came out? I've been in race control before. I know that they've got cameras on everything. But when certain situations arise, they have to make the call to go to caution. They they feel that it's not safe to wait. Yes. So with whatever they did, it was because of safety. It was not made because of who is around the track, who can we aim to ruin their race. That, that wouldn't have been the intent. But it still is unfortunate that it happened. We also had uh, Graham Rahal and Simon Pagino get together in turn one, lap one. Come on, guys. It's a long race. Uh, Ray Hall managed to get back up to fifth, I think it was. He, he finished very well, but it ended Pagano's race right there. It's going to be dangerous going into a place like Barber this weekend, a place that Simon is so good at when he is red with fury. Uh, and, and Tim, what, what points do you want to bring up from Long Beach at the weekend? Uh, I was going to say they're off to Alabama next, which uh, is one of my favourite circuits. It's a great circuit. Um Barber, isn't it? The, yeah. Uh, the, the, the track. Uh, a couple of the IMSA support series will be there. The uh, prototype challenge presented by Mazda and the Yokohama Porsche GT3 Cup, Porsche well. GT3 Cup yeah, will be there very, as... Very, very difficult to pass on that track. Uh, yeah. For Indy cars. Yeah. Mm. Not Down at the bottom of the hill too. before the left-hander. Yeah. You can get Por- in there. Porsches, Porsches find uh, overtaking quite good there. Yeah. Indy car don't. You can stand, for, well, you probably can't uh, during race weekend because they probably sell it off for hospitality. But if you stand on the balcony of the museum, you get a great view um, of that side of the track. I've never been there. I feel like oh, you have to go. Definitely go to the museum. Have you been to the museum, Shay? Yes, yeah. I did it a few years ago, and it is spectacular. Bikes as well as cars, John. You'll love it. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I need to get there in the next. Well, um, you know, not that uh, not that I need any more work, but I am a bit busy <laughs> this weekend as I'm off to Navarra. We're off to the heat of Navarra. It's going to be a scorcher this weekend in northern Europe. Uh, getting on for 30 degrees in the south of England. Heavens knows what that'll be like in Navarra. We'll be burned to a crisp. Well, I won't be because I'll be in the cool, air-conditioned bliss of a commentary box for Have they the. They promised you air conditioning. I hope so. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, you we hope, hope so. so. It's 29 degrees forecast or something. And the rest. Hey, that's lovely. That. Yeah, be more than that. Um, uh, oh, yes, that's a good idea, Shea. Good, good point. Shea's just yeah. reminded me that I have a chance to go to Barber later on this year, and I might just do that. It's a very good yeah. idea. Uh, where would you like to go with Shea next? Tim? Uh, we As have uh, uh, IMSA news, don't we? Uh, Imza were on the streets of Long Beach at the weekend, one of the shorter races of the year. Uh, A race that was at the front of the field, dominated by tactics and track position. And uh, in the GT Le Mans category, just the two prototype classes at the weekend share, uh, dominated by bad luck behind safety car for one Earl Bamba. 
Yeah, that uh, that was a hard one to swallow, especially for Vantor. I, I still can't get the image of him walking off the pit box and just basically collapsing on the fence because he just couldn't believe the bad luck. But you, you looked at the weekend going in and thought Porsche are so strong. They've got this street course thing down. They've got the drivers to handle it. They qualified really well. They were second and third in qualifying. Off the start, you had Pele uh, hitting Joey Hand on the back. We learned that the Ford splitter is really strong. We learned that the front of the new Porsche is really strong. So that was beneficial for both parties. But they just didn't follow through. And you've got to wonder, when is that going to change? I mean, the, this new car with the engine in the middle instead of being in the back, it, it's only got the one win. That was Lime Rock last year. When is it going to follow that up? Can it do as well at Mid-Ohio? I know that they're up there trying to test today and tomorrow with the slew of other teams. Snow playing a factor on that. They're, they're expecting to get more snow tonight, so that is not great. But then you look back, BMW, they didn't have the same performance that they had had at Sebring. They finished second at Sebring. They were nowhere all weekend at Long Beach. It was a very disappointing weekend for them. The three car, the Corvette, was looking so strong, maybe to get a chance at redemption this year after what happened last year. But that hairpin just has it out for oh, Antonio Garcia. He said that the car got knocked out of gear when he was breaking into the hairpin. And when he went to accelerate, he was stuck in gear, and it took a while before he could knock it back into position. That's why they dropped so far back. That took that car out of the race. So at the end of the day, the three cars that finished first, second, and third in the order, perfect race, nearly perfect race, and then got hit by the back of a Porsche off the start, but somehow managed to continue without any problems. Slightly disappointing at the front of the field for the Penske Acuras that looked like they had a heck of a lot of pace share and ultimately just didn't deliver. Yeah, you know, Ricky Taylor gave us a great image of what we can hope for the rest of the year in that battle with his brother Jordan yes it burned out the rear tires though and Ricky just didn't have the punch out of the hairpin which made him a sitting duck for the rest of the race but at least we got to see what the car is capable of Elio got blocked on his best lap in qualifying Montoya didn't Montoya delivered a blistering pole time and we can expect that the Acuras will be that strong or stronger for the rest of the year to come we go to Mid-Ohio, which has Acura's name over the playbill. That That is one of the main sponsors. They are going to do well. The big question is going to be that now that we are going to tracks that aren't as bumpy, Belle Isle aside, how much of the LMP2 car is going to be drawn back into it? We talked with many things, with many teams over the course of the weekend about how much not being able to change your shocks and your springs really affects the LMP2 cars versus the DPIs. And every LMP2 car felt like their hands were a bit tied behind their back with what they were able to race with. Well, when we get to these other tracks where things are evened up, it's really going to blow the playbook wide open. And the LMP2 cars, they finished, I think the best finisher was about eighth at Long Beach. And that was only because the DPI car, uh, the 22 of ESM, they didn't quite make it to the end of the race. They had what they thought was a gearbox issue. Well, the good news is, not a gearbox issue. They don't need to buy a new one of those. But the bad news is something hit the kill switch on the car when Pippo was driving. And that's why it lost all power. They could have finished the race. And given where their sister car finished, i.e. in second place, we could have had an all-ESM podium mm. that weekend on Johannes Van Overbeck's birthday. Yeah, yeah, good call. Uh, it's uh, it's mid-Ohio next, as you mentioned, for IMSA. been a while since the... 
uh, teams were there. Been a very long time. If yeah. oh, I'm, I'm trying to think when we had uh, an IMSA race there that was just an IMSA race without being part of an IndyCar weekend, but it's a big festival oh, of IMSA, IMSA races. Um, a lot of the current teams and drivers won't have been there. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of uh, none of the current classes have been there in competition. So I mean, this one is it's it's a bit of an open book, really, isn't it? It is, and it's so funny that you mentioned that because as I was going through uh, the list of drivers at the beginning of the year, trying to put their best finishes together for Mid Ohio, I was basically copying and pasting rookie over and over and over again. There are so many drivers who have never been there. They've never tested there. They've never seen it. They've only done it on a simulator. And as you know very well, it's a very undulating track that you don't really expect of it because you think it's mid-Ohio. How, how mm. bumpy can it be? When you get there and you go through that roller coaster complex for the first time, it puts a smile on your face. So we're going to have a lot of happy drivers in every class across the board in a few weeks' time. Um, can I just interject because I found more yeah. Mustang news. Oh, more Mustang news. It's a triple M then. Uh-huh. Uh the 2018 Mustang Cobra Jet, the drag racing only version <laughs> right. of uh, the Ford Mustang, which looks quite spectacular, will have a 0 to 250 time of That's 8.5 miles an hour. seconds. Miles an hour, that is, yes, by the way. miles an hour. Wow. So 0 to 150 in 8.5 seconds. Jeez. That seems reasonable. Yeah, that'll do. Is that adequate, Cher, even for you? You know, I'd imagine that the fuel economy isn't that great, though, so sitting in traffic might be a bit of a problem. No, no, that's fine. You're not moving. It's only actually <laughs> when you put your foot on the right-hand pedal that it starts that, to... That's when it starts burning. When it starts to gulp <laughs> fuel, uh, like a man who's been drinking water who's been in a desert for three weeks. Um, like Joe. <laughs> hang on, he's back. He's back with me now. Speak. I'm not renowned for drinking... Water. Uh, anything, really. Where did she get that from? I don't know. Uh, don't forget tonight, RS1, straight after this show, Krillzy will be back with us as he takes a look back at the weekend's action from the Shannon's National uh, Nationals Series uh, in Australia, particularly focusing in on the Australian Prototype Championship, the Hot Wheels uh, Championship. An interesting mix of cars and drivers in that. It's brand new and it comes up after midweek motorsport tonight. So stay tuned for that. It's a half an hour show. It's worth. I've stayed away from the result. I have literally have not looked at the at, at the at the results of that. So I'm going to listen. I also in. don't know the result, and I have also not listened to the show yet. Excellent. It is. A, you know, we're not pretending that this is live or anything like that. It's not happening right now. This happened at the weekend. Richard's put a show together, and uh, it'll be coming on next. Although there are, there is some exclusive content on there uh, with interviews with drivers and a bit of scene set, uh, as well as some. Uh, commentary from the live stuff at the weekend. So Australian prototypes uh, coming up after uh, tonight, after tonight's midweek motorsport. So stay tuned for that, and that will become a regular feature uh, here on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. Uh, got a bit quiet on Adspectatainment, although Alan Prosser has found the Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Kyle Busch crash that we were talking about earlier on. <laughs> yes, is all I'm going to say uh, to... <laughs> To that, one or two people worried about the thought of Joe and I sitting outside uh, by the fire and how dangerous that might be if we we're just sitting in thongs. It's only me that's wearing the thongs. Obviously, Joe's naked completely. Uh, yeah, Joe does that. Don't worry, the fire's lovely and warm. It's not like we're going to catch a chill. No, I'm a bit worried 
about all of that oil that you've just put on yourself. If there's a stray ember, that could be a disaster. Don't worry about it, John. He is a trained uh, professional. First responder. Not, not exactly. In, not in, not he, in firefighting. He's... It's that bag of flour that's over there that I'm worried about. And you know what dust does. Uh, okay, Barber so is a must. Flour and I'm oil. Moving I'm moving on. Are you going to deep fry him? Yeah, okay, well, just a, little <laughs> bit of, just a little bit of grilling. Uh, Jonathan Frank says, Barber is a must. The museum has a fantastic display on Sir John Surtees. Uh, we'll still call him Sir John. Uh, Lotus race cars, many historic cars and bikes. Okay, I'm, I'm putting that on my uh, list. Still to come. Alex Zanardi Lotus Formula 1 car from 1990 whatever it was 5 we'll be be talking to Graham Goodwin uh, very shortly uh, from uh, editor of dailysportscar.com and in fact I'll get him up on the line now as we go to our next pace this is something we touched on at the weekend uh, in last week on uh, Midweek Motorsports here the WEC TV deal has been sort of bubbling under for a while and Motor Trend Network is the new name for Velocity. That'll be rebranded in the autumn, the fall, as you guys would see over there. The news that we've been waiting for for quite some time, finally breaking cover today, Marshall Pruitt uh, getting the uh, official news first uh, of the much-trailed uh, WEC and Le Mans TV coverage. If you remember, Fox stepped away at the end of Le Mans last year. Uh, and so for the transition season, it will be two Le Mans in full on, well, two Le Mans races in fun, full on what is currently called Velocity. The rest of the season, uh, Sebring will be on Velocity, the race will be. Um, the rest of the season, mostly on motortrend.com uh, and the Motor Trend app, with um, a couple of hours of each of the six-hour races live on the telly. Um, which will be the Eurosport coverage. It's an interesting one, isn't it? That, that, that uh, things have, have, have changed over a bit. So um, whoever... And the, the problem being here, and I'm not sure how many people understand this, um, in a bit of a switcheroo from the Formula One situation, where in the past... Um, the American coverage has been done from the States with the exception of a paddock or pit reporter on site um, mm. and has now switched to a fully produced uh, service which is effectively used in the Sky Sports which is everybody on site. This will go uh, This will go the other way. So instead of using the uh, commentary that was on site with so with, uh, and the pit reporters that are on site um, it will be the Eurosport uh, commentary, play by play, uh, which is done from the UK, the first and the last. I'm not sure what's going to happen to the middle four hours of these races oh. yet. That's a that's a question I don't uh, I can't answer. At Le Mans, of course, the that Eurosport will be a uh, commercial presentation, presumably well, in the middle. I, I don't know. I don't know whether <laughs> the Eurosport guys continue for the app uh, to, uh, for the Eurosport app. They don't. Oh. They right. So the middle the car noise. So what happens... When you say guys, it's Tom Gamer on his own usually. Or Mark Cole on his own. Sometimes. Less often. Right. So what happens... So so let me go through what Marshall's reporting here. Uh, the six hours of Spa-Francorchamps, May the 35th. Full live coverage on Motor Trend in the Motor Trend app with the first and last hour live on Velocity. So no practice of qualifying uh, mm-hmm. is, is what I'm reading there. So what the, the first and the last hour is what Eurosport normally do, Tim, on telly here in mm-hmm. Europe and so you're seeing so what are they taking in the middle hour in the middle four hours 
What, US sports? No, no, exactly. Um, oh, Motor Trend? Yeah. Well, Just presumably the ambient. they're taking the Eurosport app. Presumably it's the same app. Uh, I don't think it is. But Eurosport commentators don't commentate through that, do no. they? Certainly oh. not in English. Maybe in other languages. Let's get Graham Goodwin up. Uh, goodies, good evening. How are you? Um, fabulous. Good evening, everybody. Um, sounding a little bit uh, echo- echoey at the moment, oh. which might mean you haven't got your mic plugged in and, and uh, switched no, up. It's there. Should be fine. Right. I'll. I'll. I shall. Uh, are you in the shed I'll, tonight, I'll, or are you in uh, a large kettle? No, he's he's in the shed tonight. I think it's not a shed, by the way. Um, no, no, no. Definitely not. Uh, okay. So this has been bubbling around for a while, Graham, and and finally it's uh, official. Um, I, what I mean, you're still part of the uh, WEC TV team. Um, it, it appears that the, the majority of of the WEC US coverage is is going uh, behind somebody else's paywall and on another app. Um, is that going to be uh, you guys doing the middle four hours when Eurosport aren't on, or has, has that not been discussed yet? Uh, certainly not been discussed. I think the the final announcement of exactly what the WEC uh, app TV package is going to be is due at the end of this week. Um, I happily confirm I will be back uh, for another year. Delighted to say that. But um, as for exactly what that means in terms of geo blocking here, they're everywhere. I believe uh, Marshall understands that there's not going to be geo blocking of the WC app, which I think is very good news for concern that. Uh, well, there hasn't been in the US that. in the past, has there? No, but, that, but this is obviously a, a very different situation. Um, the second bit about what they're going to do for that middle pot of comms, I just don't know. I mean, part of this is uh, Marshall's clearly got this story. Uh, I know he's been sitting on it for a while, and I think has possibly negotiated getting this a little earlier than most, uh, which is absolutely in his gift. But um, for me, uh, you know, if you guys are continuing with, with RSL coverage, could be very good news for you guys. Very good news. Uh, the uh, most people would be most uh, interested in knowing what's going on. Uh, share for in the US for Le Mans for the 24 hours and both of the Le Mans 24 hours um, are involved in in this with uh, live coverage on Velocity uh, Velocity plus live qualifying and practice sessions on MotorTrend.com and the MotorTrend mm-hmm. uh, app. So that will be um, that will be the Eurosport team. So that's Carlton Kirby. Uh, uh, Mark Cole uh, and the rest of the guys who head that up. No Martin Haven on Eurosport this year because he's doing the WEC app um, with Graham and the rest of the guys who do that throughout the the rest of the year. Um, Velocity, relatively easy to find in the States, as easy to find as, say, Fox Sports was? <laughs> um, well, let's put it this way. When I turned on the TV earlier and went scanning for it, it took... Uh, until channel 412 before <laughs> I found it. And I did find it. I did find that I am subscribed to it. It's oh, part nice. of the basic cable package with Xfinity for my building, so that's the good news. Uh, and it also means that we will be able to watch the six hours of spa from mid-Ohio because I have the ability to watch things on my iPad when I'm not home. So uh, we can find out what happens after the first hour when it goes off air. A question for you, Shay. What is hmm. on channels 411 and 413? Mm-hmm. Uh, no idea. I don't remember. I blocked that from my mind. I can uh, find it's, out. It's a BT Sport, and uh, <laughs> that's what it is here. Uh, bizarre. <laughs> the key thing about this year, and, and you've hit on something that's really important here, is that Velocity, soon to be, well, later this year to become um, more a trend network, is 
um, is part of many people's standard uh, standard cable package. So there's not another subscription. So that actually means that you know certainly for the two Le Mans. Forget about the WEC at the moment. First of all, that happened at odd times for the States. Second of all, um, Fox weren't very good about putting them on anywhere in the past. So, frank, frankly, anything is a bit of a bonus uh, at this point. I have a strong suspicion that most US uh, fans will just stay with the WEC uh, app if, that, if that's what they were already uh, using. Um, the, um, uh, it's really important that that's on a, a standard... Uh, a standard cable package, yeah? Yeah, and it's a relatively standard package. I don't know uh, how many people across the country subscribe to Comcast. That is the basic package. It's the basic package for my building. Tim, I have an answer for you. MTV yep. is channel 411. National Geographic channel is 413. So these are, again, quite high-profile channels around it. Yes. So you might get... I, I can't imagine many people f who watch MTV will switch to National Geographic, but they might ha press the up button and uh, stumble across some sports car racing. The problem, though, Tim, is that it's nowhere near the sports channels. Uh, they tend to be... I know that um, my Fox is channel 350. Uh, NBC is in the 340s. Um, so you're not going to be channel flipping through sports and come across the race. You're going to have to just be channel flipping because you're really, really bored to try and find channel 412. It's out of the range of sensible thumb flipping. <laughs> uh, any more on this, or shall I move on to the next story, John? Uh, no, I'm interested to hear what uh, US listeners think. I, I'll quickly run through what Marshall's uh, seeing the situation is. Uh, six hours of Silverstone, first and last hour on Velocity, the rest on Motor Trend. Undercut. No, no talk about practicing qualifying. Uh, by the way, there isn't any practice coverage, actually, so it would only be qualifying. Uh, Fuji, same. Uh, Shanghai, same. Sebring, live coverage on Velocity, the 1,000 miles of Sebring, which is the Friday uh, evening now, as we know. Uh, 2019, six hours of Spa-Francorchamps, uh, first and last hour, and the rest on Motortrend app and motortrend.com, and then Le Mans uh, next year. That seems a very long way away. We haven't done this year's uh, still... Um, uh, still uh, waiting for this year to happen and, and don't forget by the way it's still the only place that you can get any live coverage of Test Day and every single session live free and independently is here on the Radio Show Limited network of channels which will also be of course if for those of you in the US if you're moving around you don't want to burn your data and you are suitably equipped XM Sirius uh, will be joining us on Saturday morning uh, as well uh, for the Le Mans 24 hours more details of that as we get closer to the event and, and shall we say goodbye to share now? No. Okay. Well, you can do. Uh, Shay wanted to point out uh, that you missed uh, scrutineering coverage uh, from our yes, but coverage, that's which obviously she is a big part of. And well, she uh, might be. Her, she plays a card, right? Special baby. Uh, that won't be live, of course, but that, that our scrutineering reports will be on uh, uh, Sunday and Monday of race week, uh, as we manage to get there um, the week before everything happens. It always seems a long time. We've got to get stuff sorted out. I've been booking... I'm putting everything into the transport matrix this week, so Le Mans all of a sudden seems very, very uh, real to me. We'll say goodbye to uh, Cher Adam. Cher, thanks very much, and speak to you next week. 
Thank you, guys. Talk to you soon. That's uh, Shay Adam live from Fort Lauderdale. So what I will do is uh, I'll swap Graham uh, over Graham on the other side. side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because Graham Goodwin, for the editor of DailySportsCar.com, uh, is just the man we need for our next story, which is about sports cars. Well, that's and, that's very lucky, isn't it? And in fact, about the WEC, right? Uh, which is getting underway. Uh, are we two and a half weeks away from it. Uh, we Spa is uh, Spa a couple of weeks away. Two and a half weeks away, Grim, for WEC. Uh, I think I've got you back, over John. Yes, yes. Uh, it's a couple of weeks away. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I'm doing my little logistical um, matrix for that one as well, and. It does seem to be coming at us at a rapid rate at the moment, doesn't it? The, uh, the European season underway after last weekend, and, uh, and now they come at us thick and fast. My year planner is looking terrifying just at the moment. Mine's been looking terrifying for months, but uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's because there are so many events covered by uh, RSL this year. Uh, but back to Spa, and we have an entry list... And uh, following the withdrawal a couple of years ago of Audi and the withdrawal at the end of last year of Porsche, you'd expect LMP1 to be in quite a dire state. But actually, we have the biggest LMP1 field at Spa that we've had for seven years. Yeah, it's disastrous, Tim. I won't hear anything other than it's utterly disastrous. It's disastrous, it'll never last. Uh, It's disastrous. No, of course it's not. Um, It's going to be fun. Um, Whether or not we're going to see a race between the non-hybrid teams and the Totas uh, is going to come down quite simply to whether or not Toto has a trouble-free run. That's that. Uh, But beyond that, what we did But there were so many non-Toyotas that the race between them is interesting on its own. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the point, is that I think we are going to have a really good race with that little lot. Will there be ironclad reliability? Unlikely. Uh, But what we learned from the prologue is that the times between those cars are remarkably close. And the reliability of those that were brand new will only, obviously, will only improve. So, you know, from Bicolas, who seemed to have gone from being the self-emoliating, uh, you know, whipping boys of the WEC to being a team that just were able to actually provide pretty pounding reliability at Prologue through to brand new cars being finished in the pit garages in the case of the number five uh, Ginetta from CFC TRSM, Manor in Old Money, um, through to an absolutely brand new car that was effectively just handed over the wall from Orica, the Rebellion R13, that was more or less completely reliable through the uh, the whole test to SMP Racing and the interesting story that's doing the rounds at the moment about who their final driver might be. Um, I would, think would that be Mr. Jensen Button. Never heard of him. No. Yes, <laughs> it might be. Um, interesting kind of strand to that that uh, that particular story where it's all to have done that first um, put that into print. I've done my squirrelling around amongst the people that might know. And after, after being assured that it was unlikely that this was to be true, it's all gone very quiet, mm. um, which tends to indicate, actually, that there might be more than a shred of truth about the potential possibility of the maybe here. Is there, isn't there, a, isn't there a, a, a clash uh, for the... I know there isn't. There's no, there's no clash, for, clash for Super GT. Uh, Can't do Spa. Can't do Spa. Right, okay. Uh, but he, he'd have to do the test, which is yes. clear. 
He'd have to do the. He would have to do the. He'd have to do uh, the rookie test. Yes, he would. And He'd the simulator. The sim test, but he wouldn't have to do test day. He wouldn't have Although to do the ten is, laps. Yeah, my guess is he might quite like to do that. But uh, bear in mind as well, John. Before yeah. I forget, this strand is. Either way, we'll see Jensen Button them on this year. Because uh, he's going to the old sheds meeting. He's going to the classic. And uh, they are. They are. They're not sheds either. But um, but the, some of them really are. <laughs> Yeah, I'm afraid one or two of them are, but... I mean, <laughs> but the, the, Very the, lovely uh, sheds. Oh, lovely, lovely, lovely I see it, I see it with pure love in my heart. 200 mile an hour sheds. Some of them, yes. Yes, but um, it's, you know, it's... Either way, it's clearly feeling the draw of that place. It's been a more than open secret that, you know, he's looking for a, a potential programme here, and... You can see where that appeal might be. He's certainly impressing people in Super GT world um, at the moment, you know, with the kind of speeds he's doing in testing, with his racecraft. You know, there's a 2009 Formula One world champion who's found his love of the sport back again. Isn't yes. that a wonderful thing? Isn't that a wonderful thing to behold? Well, I think you can say the same about Fernando as well. Yeah, he's heard the drums. It was quite interesting when I in, I interviewed Lance Stroll at Daytona. Hello, Graham. <laughs> um, I've just been sat in the corner listening. Um, but when I interviewed Lance Stroll at Daytona, I'm sure no one remembers this, but I do. I asked him a question: What was the you know what were the differences between his Formula One Williams and the uh, the prototype he was driving? And he kind of misinterpreted the question. And his answer was: Well, here at Daytona, it makes a great change to actually be in a, a, to be able to race flat out for each of my stints. Whereas in Formula One, it's all about managing things. And at that point, I thought, oh, that's a bit round the wrong way, that isn't it? But my point is that these guys are being refreshed and re-motivated by looking elsewhere outside of the Formula yeah. One bubble. And I think it would only be a good thing. It could only be a good thing. Jeff. Absolutely. Only. I think Fernando Alonso's go, go, when Fernando Alonso went to Indy and subsequently has you know embarked on a sports car program, I think a lot of these F1 guys are going. Oh really? What's all that about? Oh, oh really? And then you've got the guys who did who did Daytona, and they're going back. And you know, these guys are not closeted from one another. They do no, no, talk. No. It brings forward a question, a remarkable question. Of that is, is Nico Hulkenberg the saviour of modern motorsport? He could well be. I loved that when he took his uh, his Le Mans trophy into the press conference at the <laughs> next, next weekend of the Grand Prix. What did you do on your weekend off? I did a bit about racing. Yeah, and 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 what Vettel said there, and you know, I, 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 there's a lot of things I don't like Sebastian Vettel about, um, but but sometimes he does sound. Uh, recently, he started to sound like an elder statesman of Formula One, as he should, considering how long he's been in the sport and and his background. Four time world champion. And 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 as a uh, champion four times in the world championship, he said. That's really good. That makes us all look good. Yes, he was right as well. I, was, I, I thought yeah, that was a yeah. really, really yeah. good comment. Yeah, yeah good comment. It was, it, was all, it was Vettel. Was it Vettel or was it Fernando that in the post-race press conference, his first question was, what happened to Le Mans? Yes. Well, it's great. You know, that's exactly the way it should be. You know, you know I'm, I'm happy to say I'm a card-carrying cynic about the F1 bubble. And I know... I'm completely aware that I'm utterly guilty of the same in my chosen part of the sport, and I've got very good reasons for being like that. 
but that's not the way I want it to be. I do want people in, on all sides of the sport, whether or not they're participants, you know, in the car, out the car, whether or not they're fence hangers, whether or not they're journalists, I want the cynicism to end. I'd love that it to be the case where there's a lot more potential freedom of movement. And we, I think we are getting back to that, John. I'm, I'm, I, I remember talking to Stefan Sarazan um, a few years ago about... Um, still talks about that yeah. yeah well I know he's still he's still trying to recover from it um, I, I remember talking to Stefan a, a few years ago about um, crossover because of course you know he's famous for doing uh, a, a pretty high level of uh, European Rally Championship in fact he was doing coefficient 2 and coefficient 3 he'd, he'd done Rally Corsa uh, actually whilst a, a few weeks before we went to Fuji and we were talking about this and he was saying and I was saying, you know, why why aren't there any Vic Elfords anymore? Why aren't there any people who are cross-code in motorsport, particularly at the sharper end of things, at the top end of things? And he says, it's hard because you're asking people to put their reputations on the line. Mm. And if Fernando Alonso goes to Indianapolis or goes to... Uh, Fernando, it wasn't happening at the time, but, you know, it, I'm, using, I'm using him, and uh, goes to Daytona and basically gets his you-know-what handed to him, then Ooh. people look at him and go, oh, is he really that good? Yeah. And the problem is that all of the different parts of motorsport now have become so specialised. Obviously, all cars have got four wheels, two or three pedals, and a steering wheel. But, you know, if you put Fernando Alonso in a Renault Clio Cup car, he would still be a good driver. He'd but still would be struggle as... to beat Paul River. But, but, but exactly what yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. Would he be as good as the guys who have done it forever and a day and have, and have made a speciality from it? You know, and and, and I thought that was a re- relatively... I thought it was a really good point from, from Stefan because you're asking people to put reputations on the line that for which they earn a lot of money. And in, in some ways, there's a fear factor. I'm in the middle of reading Howden Ganley's book and he is jumping from an F1 car to a Formula 5000 car to a Can-Am car to a sports car doing a thousand Ks back <laughs> I'm to reading F1. Hobbo's the rest uh, same, of, I've just read, thing, read Hobbo's here. book yeah. are, are we too exposed these days with the likes of ourselves the media are we too exposed do we look at everything seen everything is seen instantly yes well there is that there job. I hate that I hate that Graham and it's it's yeah. this this constant striving, isn't it, for, oh, um, this driver has scored more points than that driver ever did in his career. Yes, but he's done 26 times the races yeah. because there's 152 times the races every season. And, and there's a different and, point and, structure. And, and it's a different point structure. I think for, for me, and people aren't getting killed every other, other weekend. If you, yes, if you give someone like Stefan Sarazan or Fernando Alonso or Lance Stroll the opportunity to just explain their point of view, then you're going to get, you're going to get pretty quickly to the point where we find a bit more of the love in this sport and rather less of the kind of the infighting. I'd be perfectly happy with a world-class driver saying, look, my main competition plans this year focus around insert name of series IndyCar Formula One I'm coming here because this is a race that's always fascinated me and you know what I'm not expected to win this race it's not going to stop me trying but I'm not expected to win this race because these guys do a lot more than I am but I'm going to have a lot of fun trying that's what I want to hear I want to hear these guys having that perspective that I know you guys have all got which is there's not one person by the way that turns up in the middle of June to work with the Radio Le Mans crew 
that doesn't have full appreciation of what a privilege it is to do that. No, I, 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 think, I, I think that's I think that's right, Graham. I think it, it it's unfortunate now that things are so pigeonholed, and yeah. that you know the the fact that I like watching NASCAR and motorbikes. I, I mean, this show actually is an anachronism, isn't it? Because uh, a lot of other uh, sports magazine shows focus on one particular part of yes. of one sport. Uh, you know, yes. in the UK we're soccer mad, um, and football. You mean? Uh, I'm saying soccer so that everybody understands football, soccer, association football mad. Um, most of the football coverage in the UK is exclusively down to the English Premier League. So it's yeah. not just one sport; it's one part of one sport, which well, you know, yeah. which uh, is completely uh, useless, increasingly so for you and Joe. Well, sure. indeed. Uh, before we move on, and you've talked about Le Mans, um, news news this week that Garage 56 in 2020, BMW finally get what they've been asking for for quite some time, a hydrogen car at Le Mans. And Pierre Fion saying, and I think this is fantastic, and it's what we've been calling for for ages, if people are really serious about us changing our views on personal transport and on emissions. Pierre Fillon, president of the uh, ACO, saying Le Mans by 2024 will be a zero emissions race and they will force manufacturers into that by regulation. And the start of that is a hydrogen car for BMW in Garage 56 in 2020. This is exactly the sort of thing we need the ACO to be doing, Graham. I'm delighted that Pierre said this. This is the same sort of forward thinking that brought those massive leaps forward in technology and speed and lap time and just tremendous excitement that we saw in the hybrid regulations. Um, yeah, I'd like to know where it was that BMW said they were going to do it in 2020. It's, that's been reported on a number of different sites. Uh, well, I was in the same briefing, and that's oh, not what they said. After 2020 is what I've got written after here. After 2020. Okay. Aha. Right. Yeah, so uh, basically what Jens Marker actually said, reading beyond the uh, rather tabloid headlines I've read elsewhere, was that, um, number one, it was it was a question around the new regulations coming in 2020, 2021, and um, what he made clear was, look, uh, that's not our bag, you know, the kind of hybrid technology we'd like to do something with. Different technology, obviously, fuel cell was the one. He talked about how far along they'd been with the program. And he said that, uh, you know, he said that that wouldn't be until the following set of regulations, which would be, well, Garage 56 aside, that's 2024 at the earliest, mm. is, is what it comes down to. So the devil is in the detail here. Jens Markup did not say that they were going to bring a car along he said that they'd like to um but there's going to be that window offered so the devil is in the detail they've been asking for that for a long time graham indeed they asked for that within the last iteration of the hybrid regulations yeah yeah they did and you know and they did do an evaluation uh a project to see what was possible i think they got pretty close to uh the potential for that kind of package the way i'll deal with this one um, is it's very simple. I'm not going to be putting any editorialization around it. I'm simply going to be transcribing exactly what Jens Market said uh, because he didn't say what a couple of those headlines implied that he said. Uh, are they interested in technology? Yes, they are. Massively. The, pro- the problem is this, John, as we, you and I have discussed many, many times, is how do you deliver that balance between our manufacturer wanted to do something utterly radical, and I've no doubt massively worthy in, in R&D terms, but still keep 
the costs to a level that is sustainable for multiple manufacturers. Yeah, well, that's, you can't. That's you you, you can't. And, and that's, that's the cost of moving forward is the cost of moving forward. And you're not going to get the logarithmic kind of scale jumps in battery technology, in efficiency. Graham, at the start of the, the hybrid regulations at Le Mans, if somebody had told us what would have happened at the end, um, uh, all right, it cost a lot of money, but the efficiencies, the lap times, the, the movement in battery technology, in the charging and the amount of power and current and everything that went forward and how relevant that would become in such a short time, honestly, everybody would have laughed at them. But if you don't force people down a route, and unfortunately that is going to cost money. If you don't want to come and play, if you can't afford to come and play, don't come and play. But none of these manufacturers can't afford to play. It's their choose not, not to spend their money. I, I agree. I think there's two. There's a choice to be made, isn't there? Yes. Choice number, choice number one is, do you want, in terms of the top class in sports car racing, in prototype sports car racing, do you want that to be, to be occupied by multiple manufacturers if the answer is yes then you've got to basically keep your eye on what the development costs are going to be and accept that hit that you're not going to be at the cutting edge if you want to go the other route and be utterly cutting edge you've got to take the risk that actually people will fall out of that basket before you get too much further down the the line it's a simple choice if you're a commercial racing organisation, and most of the bodies that we hold dear as, uh, as race organisers are, unfortunately, they're going to edge towards the former rather than the latter. Yeah, agreed. Uh, got about four minutes left, then we're into Creelsey's new show with the Australian Prototype uh, Series, which I'm really looking forward Excellent. To, to hearing. Uh, that, that is a, a real great addition here uh, on the Radio Show Limited network of channels. Uh, Tim's got a couple of stories, including another Formula One driver. Uh, what's that about, Tim? Not a Formula One driver. He hasn't been a Formula One driver for many, many years. Once uh, a Formula One driver, always a Formula One driver. It's like being a president. He's a Le Mans driver. Well, that's true. Uh, we're talking about Rubens Barrichello, and if you remember back in February, we, we reported that he uh, wasn't feeling well and was in hospital. Uh, well, this weekend, he uh, revealed why he was in hospital. Right. Uh, and he had a tumour on his neck and had suffered a mini-stroke. Oh, no. Uh, however, the tumour was benign. It has now been removed. Uh, uh, he said he wanted it to be removed so that he could... Uh, wear a crash helmet right uh, good lad and uh, he uh, has no further ill effects that's good, good. that's good and that's all good news that's always a nasty thing to hear and great to hear that the passion and the flame still burns bright I thought his last series of Formula 1 was a uh, season of Formula 1 was uh, was pretty good and sparkling I, I never thought he'd make the recovery that he did after he got hit in the head and I was pro wrong and I'm prepared you're to thinking of Philippe Massa uh, sorry that was Massa um uh, Barrichello, I thought, had a couple of bad years and came back very well. And I thought he drove very well in his last couple of seasons. And his last year, I thought, probably one of his best. He certainly loved Le Mans last year. Oh, he, lo- he loved Le Mans. Loved Le Mans. Loved Le Mans. Uh, and your final car. story of the evening is about sports cars and when touring cars coming go, together. When you go to an IMSRA event, John, when you go yes. to a WeatherTech Sports Car Championship race, yep. that's not the only race you see, is it? Um, uh, well, not usually, no. What, what, it was what, at the weekends. That wasn't their event, though, was it? Um, um, not true. If you think about somewhere like uh, Watkins Glen or Laguna Seca, you have other races. Yes. How many? 
Uh, nine, I think, at Watkins Glen last year. Uh, Joe Bradley, if you were to go to a British Touring Car Championship uh, event, how many races would you likely see? About half a dozen, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Additional. Yeah, on top of the touring, yeah. three touring car races, yeah. you'd get six or seven support races. Uh, if you go to a DTM race this year, yeah, what else are you going to see? Formula Three. No Formula Three. Uh, yes, you will see Formula Three sometimes. TT Cup is back. No, it's been axed because of a lack of interest. Really? I yeah. thought it was back. I thought it, it'd been it, saved. It was saved, and then it was axed again because no one wanted to race in it. I want to race in it. <laughs> Well, you should go and speak to Christian Abbs because he needed you. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't afford the damage, Bill, mate. That's why you're not. Uh, So uh, many of the events will be supported by Formula 3, but not all of them. Some of them will have Formula 4, but not all of them. A couple of them will have the uh, Audi Sports Safe R8 LMS Cup. Right, Okay. Uh, And that's it. Uh, I think there are a couple where you might get a historic race as well. But there is no Audi TT Cup, and nothing has replaced it. Uh, and there is no Porsche Carrera Cup Deutschland, no, and nothing has replaced that. No, that's moved on to the ADSC um, GT, uh, or doing more with the ADSC GT, I think, the Porsche Carrera Cup Deutschland. However, Mr Goodwin, um, mm-hmm. I, I hear that there may be some demonstration races that that feature GT500 and DTMs? Uh, well, it's been coming, hasn't it? And, you know, it's good that they're actually getting their act together. I, I sort of wonder, though, John, what do you guys think? I think this sounds a little bit too little too late. Well, uh, last year at uh, the, the last race of the, the season, I was there, and I have to say I really enjoyed it. I thought the presentation yeah, yeah. was was great, but there was all kind of death knell bells ringing then for DTM. I'm not sure... That, that that has been uh, abated, uh, if if I'm honest, and, and there's still some some work to do. Um, perhaps that's a chat for another time. Graham, thanks very much indeed for joining us tonight, and we'll speak to you soon. It's Graham Goodwin uh, from DailySportsCard.com. Uh, Joe Bradley and I are going to settle in. Uh, get ourselves another cup of chamomile tea and get ready for the Australian Prototype Series with Richard Creel that comes next here on the RSL network of channels. I might just throw another log on the fire as well. Uh, thanks to Tim Gray up in London. The responsible adult uh, was, as ever, Eve Hewitt. Thanks to Cher Adam as well. We'll see you same time, same place next week. RS1, 8 o'clock UK time. Until then, uh, the llama is getting ready for some Australian motorsport. Brand new here on RSL. Yay! This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.